I've been shocked for the last few weeks. Actually, it's been the last few months. Uh, 2020 has been quite a year of unknowns and surprises, none of which have been very pleasant, it seems. Last week, I was horrified to see the video of the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. Uh, this just a few weeks after watching in horror the murder of Ahmed Arbery in Georgia. I cried. I was stunned and shocked at what I saw. Honestly, I couldn't believe of what I was seeing, but that showed me that I've not been paying close enough attention to our country these past few years. Someone recently pointed out that while we can choose not to think about race or issues surrounding skin color, people of color do not have that privilege. We can choose to live in a post-racial society by surrounding ourselves with people for whom race is not a significant factor. We can construct a dominant narrative about the world that is free of racial tension. We can choose to close our ears and eyes to the experiences of those who have been disenfranchised or who have suffered because of institutional racism simply because it does not affect us on a personal level. We can choose to live in a predominantly white neighborhood surrounded by almost everyone who looks just like us, who has experienced life similar to us, and who expects justice when things are wrong just like us. Most of us have these options. But I'm learning that we need more grace to be open and available to listen to the stories of others, especially those that look a lot different than us. Stepping outside into our neighborhoods and finding someone who doesn't look like us and asking them how they're doing. Talking with our African-American neighbors, asking them how they're doing, asking how they're handling the, the protests and the riots, hearing how they're talking to their kids about life in America. I've been able to do that this week. It was incredibly helpful. It showed me that I don't know as much as I thought I knew. Having hard conversations with people of different races, different ethnicities, pushes us out of our comfort zone. It makes us weep when they weep. I've learned that I need to listen better. I've learned that my view of history has some holes in it. If I'm going to display the fruit of the Spirit in my life, it comes back, I believe, to the very first fruit listed, love. And how are we doing loving others? You know, love is not an idea. It's not even a, a motivating factor for our behavior. It is the behavior. To love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. So how are we doing, church? Are we loving others who are different than us? How are we responding to the injustices in this world? You know, they're compounding every day. How do we respond when there's injustice? Do we care? Are we spending more time mourning and praying than spouting off on social media? This morning, I want to look at a short passage in Romans chapter 12. We're going to center our time on two verses, but I want to read the entire section. Romans chapter 12, if you haven't turned, turn there or the verses will be on the screen. But starting at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to look at just verses 15 and 16 and each of the statements in those two verses. And so there's four points as we go through. First, in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. To rejoice here is from the Greek word for gladness or happiness. It literally means to be happy when others are happy. And for those of us who have young kids in the house, we see the difficulty of this being obeyed every single week with young siblings living with them, right? One got something that was really cool, and the other is upset because they didn't get it. And we seem to quote this verse on repeat in our house. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Can we do it? At first blush, it seems like this would be easy for us to follow. But when someone else gets the blessing at our own expense, or when that blessing comes and dulls our own blessing and makes ours seem insignificant, our flesh doesn't want to rejoice. Instead, we want to resent why, why do they keep getting all the breaks? What makes them so special that they can get all those things? And we can so easily be narrow-minded and self-centered. It is distinctly Christian to rejoice at the blessings of others, especially those who are fellow Christians. If another Christian is honored, our first instinct shouldn't be to jealousy and envy, but to rejoice with them for God's goodness in their life. Our instinct should be to praise God. This is the same teaching that Paul gave the selfish, struggling Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this may seem easy enough, but it's really hard to practice. To love someone means rejoice when they rejoice. And perhaps Luke 15 is the clearest example of the problem of not loving one another through joys and sorrows. And in that chapter, Jesus makes it plain that there is a a widespread failure to rejoice with others who rejoice. The pouting elder brother is seen as the greatest example in all of these parables in Luke 15 that hang together. And the point of each is not the salvation of the sheep or the coin or the brother. The point lies elsewhere. So if you turn there to Luke 15, you, you might jog your memory. I won't read it, but there are three parables, and the first is the sheep, that that the sheep is lost, and the shepherd goes looking for it, and he finds it and gathers all the other shepherds together, and they rejoice, because that's what you're supposed to do. And then a woman loses her coin, and she searches all over for it, and finally she finds it, and she gathers all of her women friends together, and they have a party of it, and they rejoice, because that's what you're supposed to do. And then the most famous story, A father seeks his lost son and finds him, and he throws a party and kills the fattened calf. And that's right. They they rejoice because that's what you're supposed to do. But in the corner in that story is the sullen older brother, and he's mad. 
He appears in the story, and hearing what has happened, he's angry. He even refuses to enter the house. He pouts rather than rejoices. He refuses to rejoice. I'm sure he refused to weep with his father when his brother left in the first place. All he was concerned with was himself. But it's not just in joy and happiness that we show our love, but in those times that are hard. Sympathy is an important Christian virtue. As Christians, we are to identify with the ups and downs of human life, especially for those that live closest to us. John Stott wrote, Love never stands aloof from other people's joys or pains. Love identifies with them, sings with them, and suffers with them. Love enters deeply into their experiences and their emotions, their laughter and their tears, and feels solidarity with them, whatever their mood. Are we living aloof from other people's joys and pains? Are we detached from the pain that this experienced in our world right now. Paul says, as Christians, we are to weep with those who weep. And weep means to cry. It means a profuse sadness. Has that been your posture this week? When was the last time you cried for someone else, especially someone that is totally different than you? a different economic status, a different color of skin. To rejoice and to weep with others means that we develop an empathy that grows from allowing their concerns to overlap and sometimes supersede our own concerns. And the word compassion is the idea of suffering with someone. God is called a compassionate God throughout the Bible. Lamentations 3.22 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassion. Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we see the compassion of Jesus weeping with those who are mourning the death of Lazarus. He mingles his tears with Mary and Martha, showing us that we should reflect the character of Jesus, which is, again, further emphasized in Colossians 3. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The Christian should be a tonic for life, showing compassion and kindness as we consider the pain that others are experiencing in their lives. True love will allow us to join in the sorrows and joys of one another, and it teaches us to make them our own. As Christians, as a church family, we need to have the capacity to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But this capacity doesn't come by osmosis. It is impossible to enter into the lives of others unless you take the time and effort to get to know them. You have to sit with them and have to listen Listen, friends, you and I have been given an opportunity to change in 2020. God is giving you the opportunity to love others right now. And God has blessed 
me to live around people who are not like myself, and I have the chance to get to know them, to listen to them, to pray with them, to encourage them, to rejoice with them, and to weep with them. Are you empathetic? You know, showing empathy doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they do or say. It just means you're showing compassion, you're listening, you care about them. And as Christians, we cannot be indifferent by the joys or sorrows of others. See, this is a command here for us. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And so right now, in every state, and in almost 20 countries around the world, there is protest going on. And you've seen the news. And the African-American community is mourning. And what's your response? Is it to bring a defense? Is it to downplay all that they're suffering? And I'm not condoning rioting and looting, but I'm saying we should take notice of their grief and their mourning. And as Christians, we should mourn with them. Learning to love is learning to weep with those who weep. And if we cannot do this as Christians, then we fail the test of living out our faith. So that's first. Second, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. After our attitudes have been adjusted, we now think, need to think about how we're to live with another. Another translation of this is to have the same concern for everyone. When I think of harmony, my mind naturally floats to music. Uh, we love harmony in music. It, it makes it really enjoyable if you're singing and someone joins in to harmonize with you. See, harmony makes the music sound fuller, more complete. The definition of the word harmony is the combination of a simultaneously sounded musical notes to produce chords and chord progression and a pleasing effect. And, and it just makes the music sound good. Harmony is, is the composite product when individual musical notes group together to form a cohesive whole. So think of an orchestra. The, the flute player may be playing one note, the violinist plays a different note, and the trombonist plays yet a different note, but when they are individual parts are heard together, harmony is created. It just sounds right. It's, it's beautiful to listen to. And Satan's tactic for our lives and for our church is to divide and conquer. See, to divide and conquer might work when you're cleaning the house after a party with friends, but it will destroy a church family. And Paul also, I believe, is addressing the racial tension that was present in the church with Jews and Gentiles now worshiping together. Living in harmony is another marker of the gospel-preaching church. He says a similar thing in Philippians 2, 2 through 5. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The harmony means to think the same way about Christ. You see it in Philippians here, having the same mind. And this unity is less the result of accommodation to other person's point of view than it is the result of arriving at a mutual understanding of God's way of thinking. 
It's like the, the spokes in a, in a wheel that converges at the hub. The closer we are to God, the closer we come together. And the closer you're drawing towards God daily in his word and in prayer, the easier unity will be for our church family. If I can pause for a moment and share my greatest concern for our church during this time of pandemic and the turmoil in our country, it's that we will stop thinking of one another as more important than ourselves. And you should have received some communication that's from the leadership team here. We're striving to make plans to, to join again as it, and gather as a church family. And each of you receive that information differently. Perhaps some of you feel we are being too cautious and still some of, of you feel we're not being cautious enough. And honestly, as a leadership team, we will be unable to please everyone completely. So what should we do then? Do you want to know what to do next? We complete Christ's joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind together as a family. We do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. We look not only to our own interests, but also to the interest of others. And we have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And as your pastor, I have lost enough sleep already trying to please everyone. And I'm done with that. It's stupid for me to do it. I can't please all of you, and I need to regularly change my thinking. I need to please only one person, and it's not you, and it's definitely not me. And so as the Lord gives us strength, I will endeavor to live in harmony with you, church family. But the only way our church will make it out of this pandemic is if we adopt this way of thinking. We have to be different than the world. And see, to live in harmony with one another means we should care as much about each other as you do with yourself. It means praying that God will bless other believers in concrete ways and then rejoicing with them when he does. Christians must, like Christ, look on others as more important than themselves, and we must show more concern for the interests of others more than our own. Why? Because this is the life that Jesus displayed for us. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ put your interests before his own. That's the gospel. And listen, friends, Jesus put his interests aside when he allowed himself to be arrested and charged and beaten and bruised and hung upon a cross. And he died for you, friend. He set aside his glory for you, friend. And Jesus shows us what it means to live for another person so that we can follow his example of love. If you're a Christian, actually, if you're not a Christian, I wonder how this all sounds to you. Have you realized that you were not made to care only about yourself and your needs? And for that matter, 
You were not even made capable of caring for yourself entirely. You and I were born into this world to need someone to care for us. We're, we were born dependent on our parents and on teachers and leaders. We are born as dependent people. And we're born dependent on someone else, on God himself. But the Bible says that we have each sinned and separated ourselves from God. We have rejected him by choosing to be our own lords. And, our, and this self-centeredness leaves us open to a certain judgment of God who will one day judge us all. We are all made in the image of God, and in judging us, he will display his glory by vindicating his character. So turn from your sins today, friend, and turn to Christ, and you will live in harmony with God for all of eternity. The third command that he gives is in verse 16. It says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. These commands all link together for the Christians, as we will see. To be haughty means to be arrogant. Uh, it's just to show feelings of unwarranted importance. It's a sort of pride. And the lowly are the inferior in station or quality of life. They are the, the undistinguished. They're the run-of-the-mill people. They're, they're nobodies, those that are willing to do the small jobs. And commentator Douglas Moo writes about this verse in verse 16 together, and he says, this is not so much think the same among one another as think the same toward one another. In other words, we should maintain the same attitude toward all, whatever their social, racial, or economic status. And we shouldn't be proud to think too highly of ourselves, as Romans 12, 3 says earlier in this chapter. We should be willing to associate with people of low position, and we shouldn't be conceited, which is the next phrase, but being wise in our own eyes. And the idea of associating with the lowly is framed by the problem of conceit, for, for pride is the biggest issue in, to unity in the church family and for caring for the lowly in our world. When we have a too high a view of ourselves, which Paul mentions in verse 3, we, we think we're always right and never listen to the thoughts and ex experiences of others. So I ask, who's your number one person in your life? Is it you? Well, what about number two? Is it you? Or three, where do you place yourself? See, the haughty person thrusts himself into the limelight. They take the place of prominence, and they don't know how to step down. They know themselves as number one, and they make it clear that the only th person they think about is themselves. And pride will sow seeds of discord among people. Pride will destroy a church, a family, a person, and eventually a nation. He says we should associate with the lowly, not because they're more important, but because they are more needy right now. And friends, this is why we as white Christians should press the pause button on our opinions and stop and listen to friends of all different skin colors. They don't need our opinions right now. They need our empathy and love and care. Do you associate with others who look nothing like you? Do you associate with others of a different class, a different economic status? Or have we isolated ourselves to only those people that look like us, that live like us and think like us? How many of you live in an echo chamber? You know what that is? It's an environment in which a person encounters 
only beliefs and opinions that coincide with their own, so that their existing views are reinforced and alternative views are never considered. And I'm afraid that that might be true for many in our church family. You only turn on one news channel because they say what you want to hear. You only read certain news sites because they repeat what you like and what you agree with. And if that's the way of your life right now, I'm afraid you might be more haughty than you realize. Just because you read other news sites and watch other news channels and read books by authors that you disagree with doesn't mean that you're like them or becoming like them. It just means that you want to learn from them and stretch your mind so that you can understand people that are different than yourself. So let me encourage you to give it a try this week. Go to that other news channel. Read that other people paper and go to those other websites and listen. Listen to others that disagree with you. Well, this leads to my last point. Never be wise in your own sight. He's literally saying, don't be conceited, which again points to the problem with pride. It harkens back to Proverbs 3, 7. It says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The person who is wise in his own eyes is rarely so in the eyes of other people. And it's true, I, I don't run to those people for help and guidance that feel, that, they, that feel like they know everything. The most wise people I know are some of the most humble people I know. John Calvin said, Nothing swells the minds of men so much as a high notion of their own wisdom. Perhaps you don't know everything. Is that shocking to you this morning? Does it shock you? to find out that you don't know everything? Do I need to say it again? You and I don't know everything. The sun doesn't rise and set on our opinions alone. You don't have all the answers. And because this is true, we need the church. We need other people in our lives that can help us recognize when we're wrong. That can help you, and you will need them, and you can help them, and they will need you. You cannot try to live the Christian life alone. You need people to walk with you. I need people to walk with me, willing to challenge me. I have to invite that into my life. And when I'm challenged, I need to listen. This is vital for us. Well, I want to close our time this morning. And I know that there's some young people, hopefully listening here this morning, college, high school students, and you're sorting out all this that's transpiring in our country right now, and, and there's this idle threat that is repeated on social media and videos, and this phrase, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And, and this phrase is shared as a way to motivate you to act in some way. And I'm all for acting and moving in response to your conscience with the issues in our country, and I'm not trying to dissuade you from, from acting, but that phrase, that you don't want to be on the wrong side of history, is an empty threat. God is the writer of history, not you, not me, and not this world. And your job isn't to discern which side of history you will be on. Your job is to follow Christ. So make him your all. Read your Bible. Spend time with God in prayer. Obey the scriptures with the Spirit's help. And trust in the Lord. Love him. Love others. Serve people. Love the church. And friend, 
you will always be on the right side of history. Always. I pray that this message will be a blessing to you and that we will apply it to our church family to love him and to love one another well. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this time and what a challenge it's been the last few weeks and a number of months. And you're doing something. You're working in our lives and our hearts. And I pray that we would be receptive, receptive to those changes, to the work. God, I pray that we would be a church that's known by these commands, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to not be so self-centered and self-focused. God, that we would weep with those who weep. Not only in our church family, but our surrounding community. God, help us as a church to not just turn blind eyes to the suffering that's happening all around us. Help us to love them by listening and caring and showing empathy. Teach us, God. Grow us. I pray that we would be a people that live in harmony with one another. That we would not be so full of pride to just think that we have the right opinion and everyone else is fools. I pray that we can stand in our convictions, God, but I pray that we can do that with humility and love and gentleness. And I pray that you would grow us. Help us to serve you. Help us to love you. Help us to do it not for us, but for your glory alone. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.